Our reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22, which is on page 981 if you're using the Pew Bible. That's Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because, of the, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Uh, my name is Ollie Benyon. I'm the curate here, for you, those of you who don't know me. And um, Happy New Year. I was thinking, I'm not quite sure when the official end date of saying that is. So if anyone knows when you should stop saying Happy New Year, um, you could come and tell me. But uh, maybe this is the last time I'll do it up front. There you go. This is the last official Happy New Year you'll get from me. Um, well, uh, we are looking at a, at a passage in Matthew 14. So do uh, keep that open. But let's pray before uh, we, we have a look at it. Lord, we, we thank you for your word and for such stories as these, as the, and though that many of us may know this story and it may be familiar to us, I pray that you would help us to uh, see something new tonight, learn something new about um, you tonight, to help us take a, a step in the right direction as we embark on 2017 tonight. In your mighty name, amen. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless chaos and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the Spirit of God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Now this is uh, the beginning verses of the Bible that gives a picture of uh, the beginning of creation. And the reason I read that is because in, in ancient minds, the sea, the, the passage we're looking at, there's a lot of water involved. The sea represented 
chaos. There is a, a Babylonian myth of a, a sea dragon known as chaos. And in the story, chaos is defeated. And out of this defeat, uh, creation is born. And the writer uh, in, in Genesis, he doesn't mention this, this dragon, though we, we see in Psalms and Job and Isaiah, they do mention it. Uh, but in Genesis, he keeps the, the water of chaos in there, this imagery there. Creation is about bringing, um, bringing kind of the order out of chaos, of things out of nothing, of, of land out of water. Now, imagine, if you may, uh, stepping onto a boat. You feel it swaying under you as the storm starts building up. And I don't know about you, as I get older, anything that slightly moves in a repetitive fashion, I start getting sick. I don't know what it is. When I was a kid, I could spin around on those things in parks all day long. But now you just go for a few moments, you're like, this is feeling rough. Well, as to just imagine what it is, the, 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 the storm starting to build. And you feel your face slightly turning green. And, as, and, and you'll start to feel how the Israelites felt as they looked at the ocean. The, the, the ancient Israelites were a nation of, of land lovers. And so the disciples are rowing in a boat. However, they are Galileans who were more adapt to the water than their Israelite cousins who, because they lived surrounding the, the Sea of Galilee. Yet even though they, they fish and they were used to being on the water, they keep their Judean fear of the storm, the fear of the dragon, the fear of the ocean. But Jesus' disciples, these are like hardened Galilean fishermen. It takes a real storm to make them fearful. But this was a real storm. Verse 24, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. Now, if you have a picture in your mind of Jesus kind of cruising along a nice lake, kind of, he's kind of surfing along in a beautiful kind of plain kind of crystal lake, then I would just rip that image up in your mind. The rain is soaking them. The disciples are cold and very wet. The boat is going like, oh, and like this and this, and you start getting this image of sickness. They're, they're bucketing out water with all they've got, and they think they're going to go under. It is a real thunderstorm. So I want to freeze this image right now, if you may, and we'll, we'll come back to it in a moment. So just, just park it up here. And we want to rewind a little bit back to the beginning of uh, the start of Matthew's gospel. And we see uh, John the Baptist coming onto the scene, and he's living in the wilderness. And he's going around telling people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He spoke of one coming that was greater than he, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. And then when Jesus comes onto the scene, uh, people believe that John and Jesus will team up and become leaders who are going to start freeing the people from oppression from the Romans. They are going to be the ones that are going to lead us from this difficult time. Then we fast forward a bit to the chapter before, the one we're looking at in chapter 13. We see Jesus, he, he's rejected in Nazareth, in, in his hometown. You know, people took offense at him. 
You know, we know this guy's family. You know, he's a son of, he's just a son of a carpenter, they would say. And then in chapter 14, Herod beheads John the Baptist. And then we see in chapter 14, verse 13, on hearing the news, Jesus withdrew to a lonely place. And what happens? Does he get a little piece of quiet, some, some time out to mourn his, his, the loss of his friend? No. People found him. And what does he do? Reject them, say, go away. No, he heals them and he feeds them. At this point, it's you could easily say everything was in chaos for Jesus. You know, rejected from his hometown, a dead friend. Uh, he's exhausted. His mission on paper, it seems, was in tatters. I don't know if you can relate at all with uh, some of this. You know, we all experience chaos, don't we? You know, I know for me, 2016 has had moments, little, little moments of just chaos where I'm feeling helpless. I feel fearful. I may be feeling a bit uncertain about the future. And I'm sure of you, many of you here, you, you may think back of 2016, and you may have had experienced your own types of chaos. Well, I want to um, bring out um, three challenges we can take from this passage and um, as we kind of start to unfreeze that frozen image that I had before, I'm going to thaw it out for a moment. The disciples, they are, they are gripped by the spirit of chaos. Alone, exhausted from sailing, it's dark. They can't see clearly at all. And, and suddenly they see a, a distant figure uh, walking towards them. Is it a ghost of maybe a drowned sailor? Or is it a god of chaos herself, the terrible dragon of the deep? They, they hear a voice, and Peter goes, ah, I recognize this voice. Could it be Jesus? Not sure, he says in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Okay, hold that. So the first thing I want to say is this. Do you hear Jesus in the storms of life? Are you hearing Jesus in the storms of life? I was recently challenged by something uh, my, one of my sisters wrote uh, to the family. And she was being really honest about how easy it is to be asleep in the kind of state of the world. To become apathetic to the chaos that we are bombarded constantly when we turn on the TV or the radio, open the papers. How it's more tempting to watch Strictly than the news about Brexit or, or Trump, let alone Aleppo and suicide bombers in Berlin or Istanbul. But as you kind of awake on New Year's Day and hear that another bomb has gone off in Turkey, it is hard to keep ignoring that storm that keeps raging around us. My sister went on to say, but what can I do if I am awake? Who wants to see the waves that you, you just can't control? I don't understand the sea. I have no compass to navigate by. I so often sleep the sleep of those who hope someone else will come along and steer that boat to safety. The captain will grab the tiller and direct us through the storm. And I just, as I read that, I imagined uh, this as, as a similar feeling the disciples might have had. 
They'd been in this situation before, hadn't they? But that time, Jesus was with them in the boat when the storm happened, and still they doubted that he could do anything. But now they were alone, fearful of the waves that surrounded them. What could they possibly do to change this situation? I don't know if you ever feel like that. What can I do? How can I make any difference to this chaos that's going around in this world? Well, Jesus teaches the disciples and teaches us today an important lesson. He comes to them in the storm. Jesus walks them on the storm. He doesn't just walk out and then say, hey, disciples, you just watch this. It goes all calm. No, he doesn't do that this time. He, what he does, he, he, he invites them to, to, to share in this victory with him and walk on the storms, in the storm with him. And though it is tempting to give up when we, when we look at the world around us or the chaos that we may be personally going through, we feel like we've got nothing to offer. Jesus tells us quite the opposite. He's inviting us. He's calling us out to walk on the storms of life with him. Jesus' first words are literally, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. That's verse 27. Now, I am is the name of God in the Old Testament in Exodus 3 verse 14. So Jesus is telling the disciples and us that he is the great I am. So there is no need to fear. In whatever situation you are facing today, whatever you're witnessing around the world today, this is a huge reassurance that despite how chaotic it is, Jesus is walking on that storm. He is, he is ultimately in control. And now you may be thinking, that is easy to say, but it doesn't always look like that, does it? You may not always have the comfort of understanding what Jesus is doing or why he's letting life be the way it is. But you do have comfort of knowing that he is there with you in the storms of life. He is there. Peter recognized the voice of Jesus and, and he acted on it. You know, he understood the, the laws of gravity. He wasn't a fool. He knew that if you walk on water normally, you would normally sink. However, Peter knew Jesus, and that, that changes everything. That's a game changer. If I'm honest, I, I don't think I would have heard God's voice in that situation. I'm sure many of us would probably put our hands up and think, yeah, I probably wouldn't have either. I'm often fooled into seeing the obstacles that lie ahead and, and forget to hear the, the God's voice in that situation. Forget the great I am calling me to follow him. It's easy to do, isn't it? You know, what, what can I do? What have I got to offer? But Jesus is calling us out to walk in the chaos that life can stir up and calling us to come to him. Not to, to bury our heads in despair or to try and fight the chaos by ourselves, which is also very tempting for many of us but to believe that God is walking in the chaos, that he has the victory no matter how impossible or how disastrous the situation looks, and he is inviting us to follow him. I want to set the scene again for in verse 29. We, we, we get on to the next part 
of this story. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he, he defies the chaos, doesn't he? So the second thing I want to say is, if you want to follow Jesus, then you have to get out of the boat. This may be something that is said many times, but it's something that is, is so true, and we can hear it over, we need to hear it over and over again. I am... Um, one of the most significant moments in my life was uh, attending a, a, a church service that was home to 100 plus recovering drug addicts. Now, I may have I've, I've kind of said this a little bit before, and um, that I'd spent a week with them on a placement and, and heard stories after stories of lives just transformed by the, the love of God. And uh, just also just heard stories of life that were just completely in mess and in chaos. And uh, there was one particular evening where I was in a church service, and um, during the service, there was a time for testimonies. And this woman, she stood up to come up and give her testimony, and I first noticed that her, her arms were just completely shredded, like, like shredded meat. It was from overuse of, of needles. And she took the mic and said this, over the last 15 years, I've been a drug addict and uh, survived in the streets by being a prostitute in every city in this country. I lost my family, my children, and my home. I've been in countless rehab clinics and was never able to get clean from my addiction. In the end, I was considered too far gone by many of these clinics and was withdrawn help. I'd hit rock bottom and hated myself and thought that my life was over. I came to this church called Patel Community and got the help and support from the most loving people. And it's here that I met Jesus, who incredibly led me out of my addiction. He healed my hatred towards men, restored my relationship with my family, and I can now see my children. I've been drug-free for a number of years, and I'm soon to get married. Now, you know... A story like that, you don't hear every day, do you? But you couldn't help to just be moved and by this woman who was just beautiful and glowing with the love of Jesus who'd, who'd led her through this hugely traumatic time. And what I'd learned from this time is God had called these men and women who were living the most chaotic, the most, you know, on the far reaches of our spectrum of what we think is, you know, messy, to, to take steps of faith and to trust him. And the result was hearing story after story of wonderful transformations. Now, you may be thinking, well, Ollie, I, I'm not a drug addict. You know, this is, it, this is, my life is very different. And I would say, well, if God can reach in and not just stop a life from destroying itself, um, but make it whole and radiant so that all who witnessed it, especially that day, would say, I want what they have got. Then I believe our God can calm the storms in our life, no matter how messy, how chaotic they may seem. So I want to encourage us to let's follow Peter's example. You know, I'll do it despite the chaos, despite the mess. Because I see Jesus. I know who it is that I'm following. And the third scene and the final scene 
is this. As Peter is doing it, isn't he? He's walking on water. Then he notices something in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So the third thing I want to say is when you focus on the wind and waves, you will sink. Can you, can you relate to Peter? You know, it's all going well. Then, oh my word, this is particularly scary. You know, his focus suddenly shifts. How often do you, do I, do we all focus on the challenges ahead of you? you know, look at your inabilities, your insecurities, or whatever, and you just give in. But Peter not only shows us that he's human and makes mistakes, he also shows the way of overcoming failure. In verse 30, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He didn't wait until he was drowning. I think some of us do. We get to the point where we are gone, got, you know, hit rock bottom. We don't need to go to that point. He doesn't wait to that moment. As soon as he felt himself sinking, he called out to the Lord and reached out his hand to him, and Jesus caught him. For the last year, I have uh, been attempting to teach my children to ride a bike, and this is not as simple as it, I first thought. Um, I've run countless miles next to my children as they learn this particularly high-speed skill because they're getting faster. And it's, the reason I run to them next to them is not because they can't bike. They can. They're pretty good now. But there's often a moment at every single bike ride where I will have to turn from jogging father to, you know, ninja. And they suddenly are, they, they're going fine, and suddenly they'll notice something in the trees, or it's wind blowing, or they realize they're going a bit fast, and they, they lose their pedals, always happens. And they, they aim, I think purposefully, for the old lady with the dog, and they cry out my name, throw both hands in the air, go, Daddy! That is my cue to uh, dive, grab my child, children, probably at the same time, before they face plant into the tarmac. My kids, they expect me to catch them. That is why I'm running. They want me to run there. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ollie, well, the only way they're going to learn is you're going to have to allow them to face plant into the tarmac. And that, yeah, that does happen as well, and uh, I agree. Uh, but that doesn't really work for my illustration. <laughs> you see, Peter, he, he knew Jesus. He believed who he claimed to be. That, and that is ultimately why he got out of the boat in the first place, didn't he? However, there will be times when we focus on the wind, on the waves, and we will just begin to sink. We will fall, and like my kids, who expect to be caught. We can expect God to reach out his hand when we call out to him and he will hold us up. That is a promise. That is a promise for us. And I don't know how often you may cry out to God, but I want to encourage you, let's, let's do that more often. God, help me. And I'm coming to the end, really. And um, at the end of this chapter, we see the power of reaching out to Jesus. When people recognize who he was um, in verse 33, they discover he is the son of God. Wow, this is who he is. When they recognized who he was, they longed for the sick friends just to touch the edge of his cloak in verse 26. And as many touched him were healed. Those who touched a crust of bread were filled during the feeding of the 5,000. And Peter, he simply 
touched an outstretched hand of Jesus and he was held up. Faith really is, is touch, isn't it? It's, it's making contact. It's taking that step of faith and saying, God, I, I want to reach out to you. And I, the early Christians that this book was written to in the Mithean church who were struggling to build a church primarily of, of Jewish believers uh, in the northern part of Palestine around 70 AD, they could take enormous encouragement in, in, in this story. The Jesus they worshipped both both fed them in the Lord's Supper and protected them in the storms of life. Their part was just to trust him, to reach out a hand. And his part was then and is still today to save. So in 2017, I want to be known as someone who is, who is awake, who is listening for that voice of Jesus and is willing to take steps of faith to do something even if it sounds or looks impossible. To remember that when I sink and fail, which I know I will, to grab hold of the one that is in control. My dad would often say this little phrase. Well, actually, when someone said to him, hey, uh, Tom, yeah, take care, he would often say, no, take a risk. And I used to find that particularly awkward, annoying, really. But actually, there's, there is truth in that, in that statement. We are not, as Christians, just to take care. To just go with the flow. No, Christianity involves taking steps of very risky kind of faith. And it's not blind risk. It's not, you know, abandoning all reason. It's knowing who we're following. It's focusing on Jesus. So may 2017 be a year of not being asleep or burying your head in fear of what's happening around you. But to be awake to the call of Jesus to taking small steps of trusting in God's will for your life. Last week in the morning service, I, I, just, uh, I spoke on Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and I just thought it was a good way to, to end this morning. It's very famous. It says, trust in, the Lord your God, no, sorry. trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Amen. Let's spend a few moments in prayer, shall we, together? And let's, uh, let's take what we've been reminded and taught by Ollie tonight and... Uh, put it into practice and think about it for a moment. So maybe each of us, just in the quiet, we could just picture the coming week and opportunities that you and I will be given to trust God, to choose to believe that he is faithful. Opportunities to walk out of our comfort zone some of those opportunities we might not have chosen for ourselves, but we're just kicked out of our comfort zone. Let's present them in the quiet before the Lord and ask him to reach out to us.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know us by name. And you know the things that hold us back, the things that cause us to doubt, the things that we might be anxious about. We pray, Lord, tonight that you would call to us by name and we would trust you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. One of the things we're taught by the scriptures that we can do for one another is to pray for one another. And tonight, we can so easily think of areas of the world where it's precarious and dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is easy to look at the news and to want to switch channels. But Lord, we don't. We come before you and we present the needs of those who suffer because they follow you. We lift up those who are struggling tonight physically, those who are hungry, those who are sick, those who are refugees far away from the place they know as home. Those who know that if it's discovered they're Christians, they will be persecuted and suffer. And we ask, Lord, that you'd come by your Holy Spirit and you'd fill them with your strength, with a knowledge of your presence, that somehow in an amazing way they would know they're not forgotten, neither by you nor by your worldwide church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And then as it's a new year, let's just ask that the Lord would fill us with a desire to please him in this coming year. Individually and as a church, Lord, we want to be people who exercise faith and trust. People who live life distinctly differently because we're connected to you, the living God. And we welcome every opportunity, though it's hard to say that, we welcome every opportunity to learn to trust you, to walk by faith. So thank you for those opportunities. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. <laughs>